Uh, this is the final episode of season number one, y'all. Ain't I a Woman podcast. Um, I feel a great sense of accomplishment making it to this point. I know some of us n- never thought we would get here, but nonetheless, here we are. And I think we need to get into what's been going on with some of our, our faves. Zimmy had the idea to talk about Megan Thee Stallion, Brittany Griner, and I just think just the two of them alone deserve their own episode. A lot has come up for me, seeing Megan's story unfold, seeing Britney's story unfold. But before we get into all that, let's just get into a Dusty of the day. Beatamy, do you have a Dusty? So yes, I do have a Dusty of the day. My Dusty of the day today is actually going to be Amari Stoudemire. I'm very disappointed in Amari Stoudemire, allegedly, allegedly, right, for this incident that just happened with his daughter. He was just arrested on Sunday evening for uh, allegedly punching and slapping his daughter in his in the face. One of his daughters, he has two. One of his daughters is, I believe, 15, and the other one is like 17 years old. But at this point, it's not clear which daughter it was that was hit, allegedly. But he was arrested. Moms were called. Uh, kids were picked up. And so was Amari. So... You know, Amari Stoudemire, he's, what, like six foot nine, six foot ten, 255 pounds. I cannot imagine just the picture of him actually like punching one of his little babies in the face is very not, it's no bueno. It's not good. It's not good. I'm really tired of these famous men who just feel like everybody else around them is to be used and abused, who just feel like everybody around them is just their little playthings and they can just do whatever they want because they have money and because they have connections. This is probably, I think this is the first time I've heard something like this as it pertains to Amari Stoudemire. So I'm extremely disappointed. I'm not going to lie. I'm a huge basketball fan and I've watched him growing up and it's just, it continues to be a huge disappointment, a black man after black man and just seeing just how low they really will go. Now, while it is alleged, the Instagram post that he released, I think it was earlier today, it didn't deny that it happens. It just said that he tried to, and in the police documents as well, that he was trying to correct his daughter. He did admit to giving her a quote unquote ass whooping. So, you know, at this point, I'm just like, I kind of believe that you probably did physically, you know, assault that little girl because that's what it is. It's physical assault. It's just really, really sad that that's the way that he thinks that parenting should go down. At some point, he then punched and slapped her to the point where he drew blood. The officers on scene did identify that the person who was struck had like blood stains on their sweater and on their pants. And the mom actually also showed the officer a picture that the daughter had sent to the mom right after it happened. Wow. Yeah. I don't know much about Amari Stoudemire. I don't really follow him. I'm not into basketball the way you are beating me, but I definitely know of him. And we've had so many examples of corporal punishment 
in, among the black elite, you know, black people who have means and opportunity to be more educated on what corporal punishment can actually do above and beyond the legal consequences it can have, the criminal consequences it can have. So it's just surprising to me to see this. There's like another example of somebody not too long ago who ended up um, having to explain the way that they're disciplining their, disciplining their children. So, you know, the famous kids got platforms too. So what goes on in your house is not just what goes on in your house anymore <laughs> when it comes to corporal punishment in particular. But yeah, I don't think it should ever look like drawing blood. I don't think it should ever look like abuse. And we already know that there's no place for corporal punishment, period. But yeah, I think that's an important thing to bring up. Zimmy, did you want to give us a little bit of history on what's going on with Megan the Stallion, especially given all the new developments? I did want to give a quick history of the the Megan the Stallion case because I've been following the case pretty closely. I think one of my big issues is that there's so much disinformation out about the case. It reminds me a lot of what happened with Johnny Depp and Amber Heard where it's very clear that there's like a strategic misinformation campaign being conducted. I don't know if it's by Tory and his people. I know that that's something that Megan has accused him of in the past, this kind of paying off blogs and different writers to kind of like put out a lot of misinformation. And I get the sense that that's what's happening a lot in social media. So I just wanted us to cover kind of like the facts of the case before we delve into a discussion. So the facts of the case are on July 15th, 2020, police were called to a scene in L.A. At the time that they were called to the scene, Megan was found with her feet bleeding. And there were three people in a car, Tory Lanez, Megan's now former friend, Kelsey, and Tory Lanez's driver were the other three passengers. At the time when the police were called and they pulled the car over, Megan claimed that she had stepped on glass and that's why her feet were bleeding. Everybody was ordered out of the car. They were made to lay down on the ground. You can find a video on TMZ. Tory Lanez was found with a gun. He was arrested. I believe everybody in the car was arrested, but Tory Lanez specifically was found with the weapon. Megan was puffed and placed into an ambulance and taken to the hospital. At the hospital, it was discovered that she had bullet fragments in her foot, so she had to have emergency surgery to have it released. And then at some point, I guess she had a conversation with law enforcement, alerting them that it was actually Tory Lanez that had shot her. But she didn't say anything publicly about it. The first time she said something publicly about it was a few days later, where she posted on Instagram saying she had been the victim of a crime with the intent to harm her. At that point, a number of stories were coming out, which Megan will later allege were being planted by Tory Lanez and his team. And then because of all the stories coming out on July 27th, she came online and said that it was actually Tory Lanez that had shot her. Two months later, in September, September 25th, Tory Lanez released this album. In the album, he says a number of things. He says that he didn't shoot Megan, that they were actually romantically involved, and he's being blamed because he was romantically involved with two friends, and that essentially there was no shooting, and Megan just stepped on glass. A couple days later, on October 8th, 2020, Tory Lanez was charged with shooting Megan Thee Stallion. Fast forward, there's a lot of back and forth, a lot of fuckery in the media, and then we get to 2022, Megan does the now infamous interview with Gail King, because at this point in time, there have been like a ton of stories, you know, written about it. 
people were questioning her credibility. The misogynists had gathered online to call her a liar, etc. So she does this, I would say, ill-advised interview with Gail King, where really she kind of lays out what happens. But the biggest thing that people took away from it is at one point, Gail asks her if she was ever romantically or intimately involved with Tory Lanez, and she denies it. More fuckery ensues, and we get finally to December 12th, which was last Monday, and the trial where the state of California against Tory Lanez begins. First thing we learn is that Megan, the prosecutor, is basically going with a version of events that Megan has been saying for, at this point, two years, which is essentially that there was an argument. She left, got out of the car because she didn't want to be a part of the argument anymore. Then Tory Lane shot her while she, when she was walking away from the car. Now, interesting enough, the defense comes with their opening statement, and their opening statement is basically, Megan's a whore. There was, in fact, a shooting. Now, mind you, Tory Lanez had denied on multiple occasions that there was ever a shooting. He says she stepped on glass. But the defense, when he goes to trial, says, yes, there was a shooting. But Tory Lanez didn't shoot her. Her best friend, who was in a car, Kelsey, shot her. And essentially, they Kelsey shot her over jealousy because they're whores and they were basically fucking the same men. That is Tory Lanez's defense. Oh, my God. Yes. Megan claims that the argument in the car actually wasn't about them being intimately involved. It was about their rap careers. And at one point she had insulted Tory Lanez, basically told him he wasn't shit. His rap career wasn't shit. Tory Lanez's attorney states that this is basically just fuckery, jealousy, whoring, slut shaming, all of that. He alleges that both Megan and Kelsey were involved with Tory Lanez, the baby and Ben Simmons. And Megan had a history of going behind Kelsey's back to sleep with men she was involved with, right? So he's clearly trying to paint a very clear picture. Megan takes the stand, tells the same story again, one more time. And the case doesn't really get interesting until Kelsey takes the stand. So when Kelsey takes the stand, she invokes her Fifth Amendment right. She can't answer any questions, clearly. Everything is, I don't know, I don't remember. She says that she's having a difficult time because she just had a baby and because of postpartum depression, she can't answer questions. But for some reason, she can remember anything that you ask her about Megan. So if you ask, was Megan drunk? She can tell you, yes, Megan was drunk. She was acting out, et cetera. But when they ask her, for instance, like, did you see Tori shoot Megan? She said, no, I heard shots. Did you see a gun? No, I just heard shots. Everything is, I can't remember. I'm not sure. So the prosecution is like, but a couple months ago when we interviewed you, you told us a completely different story. Right? Painted a very clear picture. So we're going to play back clips to jog your memory. So the prosecution is allowed to play clips, but they're not allowed to play the entire interview. The interview was 80 minutes. And so they play little clips here and there, like her saying, I saw Tori shoot Megan, et cetera. But Kelsey is like hell bent on denying all of this. At one point, this is like what, it went, this is how it went, right? They asked her, did Tori offer to pay, offer you a million dollars? And she says, not just me. Mind you, that's not an answer <laughs> to the question, right? And they're like, so he offered you a million dollar bribe? And she's like, I wouldn't call it a bribe, right? So it's kind of like these very evasive answers coupled with her invoking the fifth every couple of sentences. At one point, they even asked her, did Tori Lane's offer to pay for your attorney? And she says, yes. And then they ask her, 
did Tori Lanez pay for your attorney? And she says, I don't know. I can't remember. Girl. Just a mess. So when it's Tori's defense, I'm almost done. Tori's defense is time for them to cross-examine. And they basically try to paint the picture that it was Kelsey that did it. And they also make a mistake because they imply, they get Kelsey to imply that she was pressured by the prosecution to lie in her previous 80-minute interview. So Kelsey's now saying, yeah, I lied. What I said in the past wasn't true, you know, et cetera. However, the issue with that is once Tory's defense team opens up that, goes down that road, the prosecution was then able to ask the judge if they could introduce the 80-minute interview into evidence because now their credibility is being questioned because Kelsey is kind of claiming coercion. So basically, Tory Lane's lawyer is like, fuck him, (laughs) right? Because this 80-minute interview is going to be played because Kelsey was claiming they pressured her. She was kind of coerced. You know, she felt like she had to lie, et cetera. And the next day, the entire 80-minute clip is played. Interview is played. Kelsey is talking the overwhelming majority of the time. It's clear that nobody pressured her. And in the interview, she goes on to clearly state that, one, the argument in the car was, in fact, not about who was being intimate with who, but it was over them dissing each other about their rap careers. <laughs> Two, Megan did in fact get out of the car and then Tori proceeded to lean out of the, the passenger side window and shoot her. She heard two shots and then she turned around or looked up and that's when she saw Tori shooting. And I think she said something like Megan looked like a deer in headlights as Tori was shooting at her. She also confirms that in addition to shooting Megan, Tori got out the car and grabbed her by the hair and pulled her back into the car and told her she basically he demanded that both of them get back in the car because they had both gotten out the car. So he, when they get out the car, he shoots Megan. When he's done shooting Megan, he gets out, drags Kelsey by her hair, pulls her back into the car and then demands that Megan get back into the car. Mind you all this while he's like, you know, waving his gun around. Oh no. Then the cops get called, et cetera, et cetera. She confirms that Tori did in fact offer both her and Megan a million dollars. She said she didn't know, she didn't consider it a bribe, but he offered, like he asked her if she had any businesses she wanted to start, you know, a clothing line, et cetera, told her he could fund it. And that is where we left off. I don't know what happened today. So that's where Friday left off. Just popping in to add in something since we recorded this episode um, before the trial concluded. So when the trial concluded, Tory Lanez was found guilty on all three counts. One was having a weapon, an unregistered firearm. Second was firing with gross negligence. And then third was assaulting somebody with the weapon. He was found guilty about two days before Christmas and he is now currently in LA County Jail while he is awaiting his sentencing. So back to our conversation from here. And so the reason why I wanted to lay out the facts of the case is because when you go online, there's so much misinformation. So everything I just laid out comes from the Rolling Stone and the LA Times, a reporter at the LA Times who were actually in the courtroom because the court proceedings are closed. And so but when you go online, there's just like, It's so clear that it's a misinformation campaign. Anything negative about Meg is amplified. And pretty much the only negative thing about her is that she slept with Tory Lanez and lied about it. All the facts get ignored. And so that's why I just wanted, before we get into like, what's going on with this case, misogyny, the slut shaming, all of that. Those are the facts of the case as we know them as of Friday when the court closed. I'm done. 
I hadn't really stepped back and appreciated like all the details of the case. I think the thing that was like weighing on me most heavily since the trial started was the testimony that Megan gave about what the experience of this has been like for her. Like even at Gail King interview, it was like a chance to hear from her with the the facts of the case didn't fucking matter to her. I'm just going to be real. It was what I connected to about this whole story was her sitting there talking about what she was enduring. I don't know what I would do. I don't know how I would maintain if the whole world was talking about me like this. And I knew that that wasn't the truth. And when I go back to that moment of him reaching out the car to shoot them and then dragging them back in the car, they were terrified. Like Megan didn't tell the truth about what happened because she was literally terrified. But also it's this other thing that's going on for her too, which is the reason why I think Tory Lanez brought his son in a courtroom, which is if you tell this story about what I did to you, then you're taking another black father away from his son. Mm. You're going to put me in prison. So I feel like Megan has so much weighing on her in ways that I was like, how does a courtroom even mitigate that kind of manipulation of him bringing his child? I was like, the justice system isn't even clued in to that level of manipulation. Like, how would you explain in a courtroom what is so powerful for Black women about this narrative of, like, fatherless Black children? I mean, that, so much of the conversations we have in the community about relationships between men and women center around that conversation, right? Fatherless homes. Basically, what was going on with the whole, like, the manipulation of bringing his son? To me, that conveyed, like, what kind of person he is. The levels to, like, the manipulation, that's what him bringing his child. Why would a child need to be in a courtroom to hear about a violent crime? Usually that's something people want to shield their kids from, even if they're directly involved. Even if something's happening where your child is, like, present. For it. You still want to shield them and protect them from the fallout from that situation. So yeah, y'all, I don't know. That was one of the things I noticed about that whole situation that made me very uncomfortable. And I was just thinking about what is it like to be somebody who not only went through the experience of a violent crime, but you have to do it publicly. You have to do it with all these compounding pressures that are even difficult to talk about and describe that are unique to you as a Black girl that, you know, the world isn't probably ready to hear. <laughs> and if you even if you did tell them, they wouldn't know how to receive it. So it was just so deep, y'all. And I definitely have been watching and uh, wanting to support her somehow, some way. So yeah, I hope that this podcast does that just by truth telling, telling exactly what happened the way it actually happened. Thank you, Zemi. I'm really grateful for you, like helping to orient, like the details of the case have been really confusing. For me, it's been so confusing that like, I'm not going to lie, like I definitely checked out. I was just, it was too much. And I didn't know how to sift through all of, not just like the information, but just like all the weird shit that people were saying. But I think it's because like, it was, it's a, it was painful for me, you know, to watch her go through that. When I watched that interview that she did with Gail King, I was just, I felt for her like and I didn't I didn't feel like she was lying. I never felt like she was lying. I can definitely relate to this thing of wanting to at one point protect Tory Lanez by saying that, no, I wasn't shot. I just stepped on glass. And even, you know, when she recounts the details of what happened to her, 
she talks about how like initially she didn't even realize that she was shot. Like she didn't even realize she just saw blood and all of a sudden, like she started feeling pain and then everything kind of like started to dawn on her. Being shot is a very, very violent experience, especially when it's, you're, it's not something that you, you're expecting. Nobody ever expects it really, but you know what I mean, like the way that it happened. And watching like the world pick her apart, I can't help but think about like all the other Black women who have experienced like some form of violence against these very powerful, well-connected men and the way that they're like railroaded. But I think one of the things that I, I definitely can't appreciate is the public support that I've seen from other women in the industry as it pertains to the case. I know that like Cardi B said something, you know, about people like just generally harassing Megan. Janelle Monet, love her down. She also spoke as well, like just the general, as much as people are trying to use this to completely like ruin her career and like ruin her self-esteem and ruin everything that she's worked so hard for. There is also a lot of people that are like, leave that girl alone. This is something that happened to her. And for you to try to pick that apart is absolutely disgusting. Um, And I I don't see any way that like Tory Lanez is going to come out of this and still think that he's going to have the same type of fan base that he had before. I don't know how. Did he have a fan base before? He Hmm? did. He did have a fan base before, but a small one. it's also been a very, like, <laughs> it's also been very revealing. Like niggas like 50 Cent continue to come out and embarrass themselves and show us who they really are. But it's unfortunate, this thing that this amazingly talented, beautiful, well-endowed, just all around wholesome Black woman is having to go through. It's really fucked up. I feel like that about Megan, too. I feel like she's wholesome. She's very wholesome. I enjoy her so much. Yeah. I mean, she went to college, y'all. Like, she literally went to college while she was popping off in her career, while she launched this, like, amazing career, this amazing rap career, this acting career. Like, she's that girl. And let's be honest, and niggas are mad that she's that girl. And to top it all off, she's from Houston. I actually feel kind of disappointed by the what I perceive to be the lack of support that I feel like Megan has gotten, particularly from other Black women. Um, Other Black women who are in this industry, and I know, given like the stories that women constantly tell about experiences they have with men in the industry, like I'm thinking about that story Ashanti just told about the producer who was like, I won't give you your beats unless you sleep with me. Thinking of of stories like that. And so I know that the women who are in the Black music industry, whether it be rap, hip hop, R&B, whatever, I know that they've had similar experiences, maybe not of being shot, but definitely like men trying to be violent towards them, trying to abuse them, whether it be physically, sexually, etc. And so I've been really disappointed with the lack of vocal support. And I feel like it's this like persistent issue. Every every time something like shitty happens to a Black woman, like I'm thinking back to like the Kiki Palmer thing. It's like it just be the one Black woman who's windmilling (laughs) against like all the niggas trying to jump down her throat. And I don't know, I find it really, really frustrating. The inability to speak truth to power, especially when you're in somewhat of like a powerful 
or privileged position. Like I appreciate the women who've done it. Like I appreciate Janelle, Cardi, Kiki Palmer. I appreciate that, that they've spoken out on her behalf, but I'm just like, yo, where are all the other rap girls? Cause I know these niggas be dogging y'all <laughs> too so behind the scenes. The Zimmy, the thing is too that I've come to realize is that some black women, these like violent things that we can name that we see them going through or we just know that they're going through, they don't in always interpreted as such the way that we can say that obviously what happened to Megan was a complete violation there's some black women out there who don't believe it was a violation because they believe that there's something that Megan did to deserve that i.e when things like that happen to them they believe that there's something that they did to deserve that so sometimes I see the silence not always as I see this is wrong and I can name this is wrong but sometimes it can also be like I don't think that that's wrong at all. I think that that's what's supposed to happen. I don't know if I, I don't know don't, if I, you don't not think from so. the women I'm talking about. Like, I'm talking about, like, the same women who are, like, who will vocally support. Like, I'm thinking about everybody who ran to Chris Brown's defense when they thought he wasn't allowed to perform for the whatever award show. I don't know, the Grammys. It's probably not the Grammys. Whatever the fuck just happened recently. I'm thinking about like those women, right? Like the the Kelly Rollins and the Jordans, like all the women who who came out to be like, oh, it was so long ago. Forgive him. I'm thinking of when Kyrie Irving was in like hot shit <laughs> and everybody wanted to be like, you see the way they're trying to tear down this black man, <laughs> right? Like fuck the anti-Semitism he was like engaging in on a whole last public platform. And so, yeah, I think it's, I do, I think part of it is fear and I get it right. Like if you look at the response Megan's got, well, shit, I don't want to be in a hot seat either. Like I get that, but it's just like, then nothing changes. (laughs) If y'all let it stand, then it stands. I don't know. I just feel like Megan shouldn't be, especially with how vocal some of like the men are like Joe Budden's clown. Like, first of all. Oh my God. I want to can drag I, Joe Budden. So can I just say, say something? Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I say Joe Budden came on Clubhouse. Like I saw him in a room a few weeks ago. There was like 40 people in that room. And I just, a clown. it felt great. <laughs> the Joe Buttons of the world, like Joe Buttons gets to have an entire podcast after having at least two DV charges. Zimmy, right? Like what? Yeah, you don't remember I that? I did not know this. It was a couple of years ago, like <gasps> one of his exes. She's like a famous like Instagram girl or like, you know, I don't oh know her name. God. I forget her name now, but she accused him of beating her. And so she miscarried while she was pregnant. Joe Budden has had 15, 11 <laughs> B charges and still gets to have an entire fucking what is wrong with these public niggas? platform. I mean, 50 Cent burnt down his son's mother's home. <laughs> allegedly and still gets to have a whole platform i feel uncomfortable a bit like so many of the women especially now that they're kind of they have a little bit of power are just letting this kind of shit like slide or go unchallenged i partly understand it because men are still powerful and they're still controlling the music industry but a part of me is like well damn do you foresee that changing if this is how y'all gonna let them rock like, I, I well, know. now don't be surprised if if things should happen where Tory Lanez becomes convicted. Don't be surprised if all of a sudden you see people popping out like, "Go, Megan! I've always supported you." And you I hope she pays all them bitches dust, <laughs> dust. Pay them hoes dust, because if I if we didn't hear it publicly, I only heard Kiki Palmer 
Janelle Monet and Cardi B. I'm sure there was a couple others. Like I know some people yeah. took him off songs and stuff when it, like, but this man literally shot her. <laughs> like this is not a joke. Like could have killed her. He was drunk and shooting. Disgusting. It could have ended so differently. Like Disgusting. so. And the other thing I wanted to note was that like the fact that Tory Lanez's defense went with the age old she's a whore defense. Sometimes you feel like society has come a long way. <laughs> I'm actually not sure what. Okay, so when I was listening to the details of the case, I was like, okay, so her friend has got up on the stand and said that she lied about it being Tori shooting Megan, right? So I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, how many people were in the car if it wasn't you? Well, her friend never said she lied. Oh, so she did not say that she lied. That Her friend Tori. said she didn't see anyone shoot. She just heard shots on the stand in her there's no question that shots were fired in her interview though that they got introduced as evidence because tori's defense fucked up she said she saw tori shoot megan and then he jumped out the car and dragged her back into the car by her hair okay and then as of the day in court she doesn't recall that so wow okay because i'm like wait a minute if it wasn't tori and it wasn't you then who was it did megan shoot herself but then somebody reminded me that they had a driver and I was like, oh, OK, so is the driver in being brought into this to testify all of that? Is it Megan's bodyguard who was the person who was driving? Is that the story? What does no. the bodyguard have to do with all this? The body. So there's two people. There's the driver. The driver was Tory Lanez's driver and he is not a part of the case. I don't know if it's because he was like, you know, a hostile witness and the prosecution wasn't interested in, you know, I, he was not cooperative. I don't know why he's not involved in the case. He also didn't test positive for gunshot residue. So we know it's not the driver. Okay. Now, I heard that not everybody was tested for gunshot residue. The only person not tested was Megan because she was the one that was shot. So that's what I'm like. I actually do think it's really significant the way that the, because I know earlier, like the facts of the case aren't important for believing her. But I think the laying out the facts of the case is super important so people understand how much of a misinformation campaign is being run. The blogs that Tori is paying allegedly have done such a good job at like muddying the waters that people are like, wait, what about this? And I heard that like, it's so messy. So people are like, well, what about the driver? Well, the driver didn't test positive for gunshot residue. So we know he didn't shoot anyone. The people who did test positive are Tory Lanes and Kelsey, but we don't know where Kelsey and Tory tested positive. We also know that if Tory was the shooter and if he followed up his shooting by then assaulting Kelsey, it's possible that she has gunshot residue on her hair, That's her clothing, true. et cetera. Mm-hmm. So we actually would need to know like, where was gunshot residue found? But that expert hasn't testified yet. They're doing a really good job at like muddying things. So to the public, it's like, wow, the case is so messy. It's just hard to gauge what's happening it's actually really not hard to gauge what's happening at all if you follow not just straight up news outlets who are sitting in court reporting it it's not going well for Tory (laughs) right but to the public because he's done such a wonderful job at doing this misinformation campaign since the jump remember earlier on it was Megan didn't even get shot Right. That's how we've had two years of she was never shot because he's allegedly been paying these blogs. And then he gets to trial and it's like, all right, she was shot, (laughs) but I ain't shoot her. Mm -hmm. Right. Like it's the facts of the case actually aren't that complex. He definitely shot that girl. 
It's not unclear at all. Allegedly, because he's not convicted yet. Allegedly. But he allegedly has done a really great job at paying enough people to create so much noise that to the layman, it's just kind of like, I don't know, this shit seems crazy. It's like a soap opera. Like, nah, it's, it's not that much circus. of a soap opera. It's a, it's a social media circus is what it is. And that's what makes these types of cases really hard. And I think it's actually one of the things that people, Black men in particular, historically have used against Black women in public cases like this. It's, it's right out the playbook. Mm. Because now people are saying, well, even if he is found guilty, we'll never know. Yes, we, we know. We she will. was shot. <laughs> but again, he's created so allegedly. He's created so much misinformation that people are like, even if he is found guilty, I mean, it, it's just crazy. We'll just never know. And it's like, no, you, you really can just follow the case without looking at like the Shade Room or DJ Academics or these other clowns who allegedly Tori has paid off. And it's not that messy of a case. It's actually pretty clear and consistent. And to your question, Asia, about who... So Megan's bodyguard is the one that disappeared. He was not involved. He was not in the car. He was not involved in the car ride at all. The reason why he was being called is because right after Tori shot Megan, like within two minutes, Kelsey, when she got back in the car, texted the bodyguard and said, help, call 911. Tori just shot Megan. Oh! <gasps> So he was being called to essentially verify that he received, you know, they have the text because they pulled their phone records, but they were called. And I also believe he met with Tori. So it's alleged that Tori also met with a bodyguard and apologized, right? Because, you know, men love to apologize to other men for disrespecting and harming women. (laughs) So, um, oh, and last, I forgot to also add this. Tori is also on recording on the prison phone apologizing to Kelsey, it's recorded because the genius didn't know that prison calls are recorded. How you and a also, nigga and you don't know they record the call? He also texts Megan an apology. So he tech, he sat down with the bodyguard, apologized, text Megan an apology, and called Kelsey from the prison phone and apologized. He never says I'm apologizing for shooting you, but he like says things like, I'm so sorry, I was so drunk, please forgive me, you know, etc. So again, it's not that complex of a case. (laughs) It's pretty open and shut, apparently. Pretty open and shut. So given the body of evidence, I wonder if Megan has any intent on suing Tori on the other side of this. I know we're in criminal court right now, and hopefully, you know, the outcome is what it needs to be for Megan to feel safe. But Megan, aren't you do some money on the other side of this? This is wild. You know, what it's cost her professionally, I'm sure. Opportunities, all of that. I'm sure that, I mean, if she sat down with a calculator and added all that up, it would be well worth filing something in civil court because this is egregious to think about what happened. What could have just been a good time, a night out? You know what I mean? And turned into this, something that has altered her whole life forever. The other thing, too, is that the online misogynoir is fucking wild. Like, whether we talking about Joe Budden, 50 Cent, Drake's bitch ass. All these, 
grown ass <laughs> men trying to bully this girl who like 50 cent has to be like 50 at this how old is that nigga He's 50. that nigga that old nigga's big mad they i'm telling you they are mad at the way that this girl has taken the world by storm all while getting a degree while doing it all before the fucking age of 30 they are pressed. Yeah, I don't I don't like all the men coming together to like booty clap to to bully her. I think that shit is it's weak. People, you know what it is? This was weak. people's opportunity to humble her. Before this, mm-hmm. Meg was not humbleable, if that's a word, right? She's beautiful, crazy body, and they can't humble her body because you know men love to talk about the BBL bodies, even though they love them. They love to use that as a way to humble women. Like that's not your real body though. You can't get Meg on the body. That's her real body. That's the real body. You can't get her on the face. She writes her own rap. So you Hello. can't be like, oh she's not talented. She graduated college. She's and beautiful. she's she was she's killing the game. Like and she's talking about fucking niggas and pimping them and moving on to the next. So this case was the first time that like, I hate to say it, the black men had the opportunity to like humble a bitch like Megan. Mm. And they took that shit and ran. And now that I think about it, the term hot girl summer has been terrorizing niggas for like three years. Oh my God. The same reason why they're pressed about the city girls. It just clicks for me. Megan literally like encouraged a whole movement for women to just be out there doing what the fuck they want to do, looking good doing it, not giving a fuck about a nigga. And this is, of course, in the midst of the Kevin Samuel white niggas, all this like weird nigga cell rhetoric, red pill talking point. Oh my God, it's it's it clicked. You know, there said, it is. Remember when men were really like upset about Hot Girl Summer? Oh my God, oh, they were so mad. Women. Oh. <laughs> forgot about that like I just, it just clearly like, like, oh, and they finally they got to do it in a court of law look mm-hmm. at you you whore fucking all these different people like that i think that's part of why like the misogynoir of it all that's a huge part of the reason why men are eating it up it's because look she told you to be a whore and you can win look at her losing she got that fine ass man shout out to party hello shout out to party um, you better act right <laughs> he, you, he two, you right. two can be canceled you better act right and be supporting he our girl right he do be acting um, right <laughs> i mean as we kind of like transition into finishing up talking about megan and get into britney there is a certain type of hatred that is reserved for Black women that I think even in my big age, I still sometimes, it still overwhelms me at times. Like, I sometimes still don't see it coming. Agreed. It's weird for me because I see it here and I see it back home and it is really overwhelming and it's hard to process it. And it sucks to see like these different black women having to go through this public like ridicule, this continuous picking apart. And like I said, I do think it's right out the playbook and it's a mechanism that's used to try to continue to silence black women. Like you too can go through this. Is this what you want? Like what you said earlier. Yeah, I think one of the things that I was really really taken aback by was like the responses to Britney's trade. I was really stunned that there were Black people advocating for a Black person to remain incarcerated in fucking Russia. 
They were using that same due to crime, due to time rhetoric. It was wild. It was so wild, y'all. Wow. It was disgusting. The number of Black people who all of a sudden became experts in like... In international relations, foreign policy, hostage negotiation, all of a sudden niggas just... Where? How? And they, <laughs> people were saying things like, this is the worst trade I've ever seen. N- nigga, name another one. I'm positive this is the only trade you know of. <laughs> like, just name, <laughs> name one other one and I'll let the argument rest. Quick, without Google, right? Like, that's the part about it that's so concerning to me. It's like, you don't know anything about hostage negotiations or international affairs or policy. You don't really know how valid or good or poor this trade was, but you have this, this there's this like inkling or desire to like, pull a black woman down because it's not like you're like I'm an expert and based on the based on this and this and that I think the trade between Brittany and Victor Bout was this is just like I ain't never known shit about public policy in my life but I see a black <laughs> woman getting her freedom back and god damn it it doesn't sit well with me. I'm upset it's wild. so can I can I give a little timeline of the Brittany Griner case yes. up until yes. this point okay so <clears throat> Let me access my inner professor, Zimmy. So basically, y'all, this is what happened. On February 17th, Brittany Griner was arrested or was detained at Sheremetyevo International Airport in Kamiki as she was coming to Russia to play in the WNBA offseason. They accused her of having vape cartridges containing hashish oil, which is illegal in Russia. On February 27th, Russia invades Ukraine and does the whole airstrike thing. And it's, it's a big mess. And the world basically spirals. On March 16th, after imposing a new wave of sanctions against Russia, President Joe Biden labels Russian President Vladimir Putin as a war criminal during a press conference at the White House State Department. And then on March 17th, concerns in the U.S. over the well-being of Brittany Griner grows. So this is the point where like everything comes out more publicly because before it was all on the hush hush. Like we didn't even know there was literally articles going around. Like how does a two-time Olympian disappear for a month and Mm. nobody knows like what's going on or where she is? Cause at that point, nobody knew what was happening. So March 17th is really like when things started like coming out and everybody was really becoming more aware of the whole situation. And around that time is when Russia extends her detention until May 19th. Um, And the extension of of Griner's detention comes during a volatile time for U.S.-Russian relations as Russian President Vladimir Putin escalates attacks on Ukraine. So as all this is happening with Brittany Griner, there's also this war that's happening in the background. NATO's getting involved. International actors are getting involved. It's becoming a huge thing. And then on March 18th, the United States Department issues a statement demanding access to Griner. Uh, They talk about how she's a U.S. citizen and they're supposed to have access, which the Russian government had continuously denied our embassy up until the point that they released her, actually. And then just going down a little bit further, on April 27th, calls to free Griner and other Americans detained in Russia escalates following the release of U.S. Marine veteran Trevor Reed on April 27th, who was freed from a Russian prison as part of a prisoner exchange. 
And then on May 3rd, the U.S. State Department announces that the U.S. government has classified Brittany Griner as being wrongfully detained. And with that classification, they were now able to activate the special envoy to like begin trying to like do the process for a prisoner negotiation. Um, all this time, all throughout like May, the WNBA and Sherelle Griner are like speaking out. You know, they're working really, really hard to like loud the situation and to get people to be more concerned about what's happening with Brittany Griner. I'll skip all the way down because there's so much that happened. On July 7th, Brittany Griner pleads guilty on drug charges, saying that the vape cartridges containing hashish oil were in her luggage unintentionally. She said that she had no intention of breaking Russian law and packed the cartridges by accident. Mm. And then on July 15th, she appears for her fourth day for her trial where she presented that letter from her doctor giving her permission to use cannabis for chronic issues. On August 14th, she's found guilty and sentenced to nine years in prison. And basically, like, the trial comes to an end. On October 25th is when she had her appeal. And, of course, her appeal was denied and her sentence was stayed. And then on November 9th is when... So you see that gap between October 25th and November 9th. Nobody knew where she was, what was going on, all that stuff. So then on November 9th is when we find out that she's transferred to the penal colony. So she spends like a few weeks there. And then on December 8th, all of a sudden, she's released. She's um, released, yeah. She's released. She comes home. We see videos being released of her. Her locks are gone. She said that she cut it because it was too cold. And every time she would wash her hair, it would freeze. And it was just, it's even, it's just sad to think about it. But as, you know, time has gone on since she's been released, there's been like more images coming out from Russian media, videos and pictures of her while she was in Russian prison, like her doing stuff, making the bed, eating with other inmates. They were recording her and taking pictures of her. And there's this particular picture of her, like making this little last bed that she literally doesn't look like she can even fit in. I thought that that was really weird. I saw those pictures yesterday and today. I was just like, this is, this is kind of strange. But yeah, that's basically what's happened. And since then, of course, as Zimmy's mentioned earlier, and throughout the whole situation, there's been this onslaught of like men booty clapping for state-sanctioned violence against a Black woman. And of course, throughout this whole time, they've used her sexuality against her. I literally heard a black man say, well, she thought that she could go over there and, and implement her LGBTQ whatever agenda and wow. thought that it wasn't going to be no consequences. I told y'all about one of my managers who was like, well, you know, when in Rome, do as the Romans. If they say you can't smoke weed over there, I don't know why you brought weed over there. And I was like, literally, do not talk to me. Like, do not talk to me. For the people who are sensible and for the people who are nuance this whole thing has brought up this issue of criminalization of marijuana here in the states mm. it's almost like you can't have this conversation about the united states saying that britney griner is wrongfully detained for cannabis oil and federally cannabis period is not legal it's still a federal felony it's a federal offense in some states if you're caught with it that's really your ass 
So I understand it, but it shocks me the way that so many people are able to throw out these things that they would otherwise booty clap for, like these mm-hmm. things around police violence and the way that this hypercriminalization of Black people, they're so ready to throw it out when it's like a Black woman, when it's a Black gay woman. It's disgusting, but at the same time, it's like, What's wrong with y'all? And at the same time, you're here ready to come together for the Kanye's of the world who said that slavery was a fucking <laughs> choice. You're, you're here to come to, to, to gather around somebody who says, well, why can't we find something good about Hitler? Like, mm. what's wrong with y'all? Yeah, because that's interesting, that juxtaposition, right? Because in the same moment that people are trashing Britney, at the same time, they're coming out to booty clap for Kanye. How interesting, fascinating. You can kind of see how people's decision on who to support and why. It's definitely a political decision, but it's based on a power structure that sometimes people don't really understand when it comes to gender, when it comes to heteronormativity. So I'm. that's a really great example of how the Black community moves on issues like this. And as you were speaking, B to me, I couldn't help but think about all the people who, you know, back when there were no states, legislation in place to protect people for medicinal use, recreational use. You had to worry about state authorities and federal authorities. I was definitely thinking about all those people as well who got caught up in this mess of a situation. I'm so grateful that now when I think of Brittany, I think of her being home. Exactly. (laughs) Me too. Amazing. Uh, Because for a long time, I would think of her and like a wave of sadness would come over me. Just worry. Um, And now when I think of her, I think of like, you know, her being on the road to healing, whatever that might look like for her. I know that her wife came out and did a major public gratitude. She just wanted to give gratitude to all those people. And B to me, she didn't name you, but (laughs) you really should have been on there because you were holding it down, keeping us all aware of the situation. You really were. Oh, thanks, y'all. Facilitating really important conversations about what does her captivity mean? It's not uh, making it more than just her situation, making it a situation we were all in. And we were all feeling that, but we didn't take to a platform and we didn't have a commitment that you had holding all those spaces until she was brought home. So that was beautiful. I mean, did you want to say anything about Brittany? I'm just super happy that she's home. I really thought she was going to do like a couple of years. Me too. Like, I'm glad she's back. I was, again, super disheartened and disappointed in Black people's responses. A lot of Black men, but also I'm not in your front. It was a lot of Black women mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm disappointed in their responses. Like I never, it's, you know, it's interesting to me that whenever we're talking about Black men and their interaction with the state, Black women are never asking a bunch of questions like, well, how much was he talking back? And did he take (laughs) off running? And did he try to speed away? We don't do that. That's never really a part of the conversation. The only thing that matters is this unarmed Black person was harmed. Fuck it, we riding. And so, and that's both Black men and Black women, right? The entire Black community comes together to do the thing when it's a Black man experiencing state-sanctioned violence or violence of any kind. I'm thinking back to the when Offset was unfortunately killed. There was so much conversation around how we got to do better. We got to stop violence and the rap in the hip-hop community. 
you know, too many black men being killed because of senseless violence. And so it really just, it's disheartening when you see a black woman on the receiving end of either being victimized by state violence or just intimate partner violence, any kind of violence, and you don't see the same kind of just response of just no questions asked. Like we rot in because that you have been harmed. I wish that black women got that same type of reception, that kind of like unconditional support. And so, yeah, it's just been really disappointing to see, to see over the last couple of days, which is really why I wanted to talk about it. I was just getting more and more frustrated. First Brittany, like, and I was like, what the fuck is wrong with people? And then the Megan, the Tory Lanez trials started. And I was just like, I'm feeling like it's progress, but damn. (laughs) <laughs> I was thinking as you were speaking to me, Brittany Griner is another one of the ones we're supposed to love. A whole Olympian, one of the best of women basketball players of all time. Just one of the greats. One Very of the true. Greats. Very so true. It's like we should love her and love on her and adore her. Where is that? Why is that missing? Whoa. Because she's black, queer, a woman, and masculine presenting. Mm. ain't no love over there <laughs> first of all even when you the right kind of black woman when you're the attractive black mm-hmm. woman that every nigga wants to fuck i.e megan a stallion yep. you're then you're too slutty you're too much of a whore so Brittany griner is way too far out there she's not considered desirable megan and all her desirability is not getting any protection Brittany definitely ain't getting no protection <laughs> not as a queer black woman that like black men aren't interested in fucking like no i also one of the last things i wanted to mention to just as it pertains to the Brittany Griner case is I surprised at finding out about Saudi Arabia's involvement in the facilitation of her release. She landed in Saudi Arabia when she left Russia. And that was the place where the actual exchange happened, where there's that like dramatic ass video of like Brittany Griner and Russian officials coming from one side and Paul Whelan, U.S. officials coming from another side and this like switch that happens. And Joe Biden definitely mentioned it in the speech that he gave when he announced Brittany Griner's release. And Mm. I'm always deeply concerned about United States and Saudi Arabia relationships because Saudi Arabia is one of those places where basically everything that the United States says that they stand for, they're against. Saudi Arabia is the same place where that journalist Jamal Khashoggi was brutally murdered, like literally cut into bits and pieces. Saudi Arabia is the same place where they arrest women for driving. Like Saudi Arabia is not a place where democracy, they literally have like a crown prince. I'm kind of also concerned about what does this mean, this specific thing that they were able to help facilitate? Like, is it now that we owe them one? Is there what is the expectation now from Saudi Arabia, from the United States government now that this has happened? And in the wake of like all this wild shit happening around the world as it pertains to like women's rights, like the UN just voted off Iran from the the commission for women's rights, like mm-hmm. all these different things that are happening in that sector of the world and the ways that these different hostile governments are doing literally what Russia is doing, that's part of the reason why I become concerned about like what this whole situation that's happened with Brittany Griner, Mm -hmm. what does it actually like mean in the long run for 
those who are black, who are American citizens, who are wanting to be traveling and vacationing in and out of these places. Like those are all things that we have to consider. I think you made a really good point about why the consequences of this geopolitically are something we're going to be following for a while. I mean, it's great that she's home, but you know, the fact that this happened, the players involved means that this is going to be an ongoing consideration. So yeah, I'm definitely still going to stay tuned in to what's going to be on the other side of this historic prisoner exchange. I mean, this is a major one. I wonder if there's any other examples in history of like athletes, maybe actors, some other examples of where people were maybe detained in a foreign country that there was an antagonistic relationship with. That's interesting. I'm curious. Mm -hmm. And so, sorry, last thing, just, you know, to end on a positive note with the Brittany Griner situation, she said that she's going to play again next year, which I'm really excited about because I thought it might take her a little while to get reacclimated, but she already had this slight little workout when she was on the plane the uh, U.S. representative who brought her over talks about like how she was excited to talk to people. She was like really appreciative. She was really like, she's like, no, I want to talk. Don't leave me alone. I want to speak English. I want to get to know the people who are taking me home. And so like, it was just a really positive sign for me that she is going to be okay. There's going to be things that she's going to deal with, but overall it seems like she- Brittany Griner's a fucking fighter. I think she's going to be just fine. I'm so glad to hear that. That's really what we want. We want her to be okay. And I can't wait to support her by watching her games. I told y'all I wanted her to write a book. Did I tell that? Yeah, you just say that. Oh, she's definitely going to write a book. Yeah, I'm buying it too. Shoot, I'm going to buy like, I'm buying one for me and my mom. (laughs) I can't wait. Because we won't have to review that book. That's probably. Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) We don't have to for surely do a book club on that book because what? That's going to be, that's going to be something that like, I would maybe Professor Ume might use as one of her little references in one of her classes when she's talking about Black women carcerality. She will not be using that book. <laughs> she does not study Black women incarcerated abroad. You don't? Oh, not not abroad. abroad. No. But oh. I feel like it could be like one of those books that you say, you know, if you want to read it. Yeah, it could be a recommended you know. reading. Yeah, recommended yeah. reading. Yeah. Yeah. I also cool. don't want to commit to reading any books because if I could pan my computer to the left, there are one, two, three, four, five, I six, have hella books. seven <laughs> books on my desk to be read over winter break. I have hella books. So I'm committing yeah. to nothing. But Brittany's book probably won't be out for like another two years. So I don't want to read it by the time. There's yeah. time. Do we want to talk about, I mean, we're kind of already talking about somebody who is doing it, doing it and doing it well. Do we want to <laughs> switch <laughs> switch gears to talk about the queens that are doing it? I can start. Well, oh, go ahead. Okay, no, you can start because I'm like, we have Meg the Sally and Brittany <laughs> I mean, yeah, because they are fucking doing it. They are doing it. Okay, in face ahead. of all the massage noir. All of the sexism, all of the queer phobia, all of the homophobia, all of the horror phobia, all of it. They're still doing the goddamn thing, especially shout out to Megan. I think people forget how young she is. And I I, I was watching a video of her. This was maybe from 2020. 
And she was talking about just how she wound up being friends with like Tory Lanez and some of these other trash ass people that she was friends with. Because good Lord, her circle is, <laughs> or was, I should say. <laughs> and she kind of broke down crying talking about, you know, losing her mom and her dad. You know, she lost her dad a couple years ago, I want to say, but lost her mom, you know, as her career was kind of taking off. Mm-hmm. And she talked about how her mom was her best friend and she feels like she made a lot of mistakes trying to fill the void that her mom left and just like surround her by surrounding herself with a ton of people who she thought could keep her happy, et cetera, et cetera. And I just feel like she needs a lot of uplifting because I'm sure this shit is hard for any 20. I mean, she was 25 when she got shot. That shit mm-hmm. is hard for in, any 25 year old. But to have your your private life scrutinized in this way to have like your sex life be put under a microscope. Like it's just to be shot. (laughs) And then to have people kind of like poke fun at you being shot to have people you look up to admire and look up to and admire Drake, LeBron James, you know, be shouting out the person who abused and shot you. I'm sure all of it feels super. It's disheartening for me. And I wasn't the victim. Every time I see a LeBron post, oh, Tory Lanez, that album is fire. It's like, like what the fuck? So I can't even imagine what it must feel like for her. But in the face of it all, she still dropped a project. Still out here, you know, make, I think she was Forbes 40 under 40 something. Whatever one of them, that, you know, those titles. Still hosted SNL, like still in a movie. It was loving, in a movie. It was in a movie. Loving partnership. Hopefully the, the last, you know, like she's still... She's doing her thing. I hate the fact that Black women have to be resilient, but I admire how resilient she has been throughout all of this. So just want to big up our good, good, a thick, thick queen. Thick queen. But you know, Zimmy, it's funny because you brought up LeBron James just now. Ew. LeBron James spoke out about the Britney Griner situation, but it's simultaneously trashing Meg the Stallion. Well, he didn't mm. trash Meg the Stallion. Well, shouting out her abuse. Shouted out music. the man that shot her. Yeah. Said so the music was fire. That boy that's don't the, miss. That's the shit we be talking about. You niggas are not consistent. LeBron James got Anyways. a black ass mama that raised him as a single mother, a beautiful black ass wife and a beautiful black ass daughter. A thick black ass wife. At and that. this is what he gave us shouting out to, i would be so fucking embarrassed if i was savannah and i like savannah unproblematic queen she's such an unproblematic queen i would be so fucking embarrassed if my husband who is the father of my whole black ass daughter went online to promote a man's music after that man shot a woman two black ass sons two black ass sons like a black ass family I was like, you, Savannah does not deserve this. That woman is too good. That's a good woman. (laughs) (laughs) She don't deserve LeBron being thoroughly embarrassing. Like, like what's wrong with you? One, it's a problem if it completely, like, it didn't occur to you. And two, if it did occur to you and you did it in spite of, that's even more gross. So um, anyway, I was uplifting Megan. Shout out to that thick queen. That's the episode, though, the how difficult it, it is for black men to have, you know, uh, maybe somebody who they admire, whose work they enjoy, but at the same time, not letting them get away with trash ass behavior. They have such a difficult time with that. I think that's an episode. Why can't you hold your problematic faves accountable? Mm. Girl, let me tell you something real quick. I was a black on boxing studio girl. Me and my homegirl, Andrea, shout out to Andrea. We get out of class. Not only are they playing R. Kelly, step in the name of love is outside two-stepping to it. I was so fucking disgusted. And mind you, 
It's a Black-owned studio. Ask what the demographics of the class were. What are the demographics? All Black women and maybe, like, two white women. <laughs> That's the demo... Like, who goes to, like, fitness classes? Men be in the gym, like, pumping. But when you talk about, like, spin... Like all these little oh. classes, it's overwhelmingly women. And because it's a black owned studio, it's overwhelmingly black women. So mm. embarrassing. I mean, it's a good song, but is it that good a song? I was just like, bro. niggas are very embarrassing. I literally was telling Andrew, I was like, I got to get the fuck up out of here because this is crazy. I definitely want to big up Brittany Griner, Sherelle Griner, Skylar Diggins, just everybody on that Phoenix Mercury team who like advocated for Brittany Griner, who has been a loud and proud advocate of making sure she gets home because it has not been everybody. I definitely want to send Sherelle Griner all her fucking flowers because I can't even imagine. And I'm so happy for her right now. Like, who chow? But I also did want to big up Jet Setting Jasmine. She's a sex therapist. She's like a trauma therapist. You know who she is? Yeah. What's she so I she, mar- big- she married to King Noir. Yeah, exactly. So I wanted beautiful, to... beautiful black. For <laughs> 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 those like who I've know, never seen know. before. <laughs> so yeah, I wanted to big her up because she was recently on the Daily Show, and I learned that she has like a spread, a contract with Playboy magazine, which is something that she's been trying to do for years. She's just reaching new heights in like her career. A lot of the times, you know, especially like in the industry, there's a lot of like focus and big up being like the men. But Jet Setting Jasmine is like literally such a queen. And she has done so much in the sex work industry in terms of advocating for people. She gave us that really amazing perspective about like the kind of weird boxes around like legalizing sex work and what that means and it coming with regulation and as someone who's in the industry how she might be a little bit wary of that because you don't know how shit goes especially being a black woman so I just wanted to big up her because she's definitely doing it doing it doing it she just had a baby too so she was working you know also still producing work and things like that while she was pregnant for those who want to know she sells her breast milk so if you want some Okay, yeah, buy her breast milk. (laughs) (laughs) She sells it. Some people buy it. Yeah, but it's actually a really poor practice. She feeding the needy. She feeding the needy. It's anyway. Selling breast milk is not good, y'all. Stop buying people's breast milk off of Facebook and shit. That is, it's not. It's not not like a whole. It's not her website. No, I mean, I saw a whole documentary on it. It's actually like really not a good look. Stop doing that shit. Well. But shout out to her. You can sell your breast milk queen, but the rest of y'all sellers, stop selling that <laughs> shit and stop buying it. It's not good. I wanted to say that I've caught some of Jet Setting Jasmine's work on Black Touch, which is a erotic content website. And you can subscribe and they always have new performers, new collaborations. My subscription has been very good to me. So check out Black Touch and support okay. Jet Setting Jasmine and the other performers there too. Her. All right. All I guess right, that's y'all. the closing to this episode. This is our last episode of season one. The it's been one. real. Shout out to everybody who's like 
listen to us fumbling through figuring out this podcast thing through the audio issue she beat me in asia not anyways me. anyways we're not <laughs> see she always got to point fingers we just <laughs> now me girl been, it's been really cool like, like it'd be me I can't believe we, I hate you. I can't I believe how we got through. Mic and shit. You don't. You really don't. I can't believe we got through a whole season. Our first ever episode also happened to be like our first ever link up right mm. here in Atlanta. It was really cute, but it was a very heavy topic. Being on the podcast on this first season has really helped me work through a lot of things. It's helped me figure out ways to dissect information and ways to just process all this crazy shit that has been happening, all these social issues, all these like different theories that we just casually talk about. It's been really helpful for me and I'm really grateful for the two of you. And I can't wait until we start recording for season two. I'm excited about some of the stuff that we got coming up. Some of the, you know, topics, some of the new features and things that we're working on. So, yeah, it's going to be great. Episodes for season two have been mapped out. It is looking to be a very exciting season two. Ooh, the first time. I'm looking at the first title right now, (laughs) (laughs) y'all. That was Zimmy's idea. The first title, the first episode of season two was Zimmy's idea. You're not... We have to do like a closing out so that it, you know. Okay, we closing out, y'all. You're not going to do a reflection? I'm not. <laughs> I don't have any. Yo, y'all see what I got to work with? Anyways. I don't have no reflections. It's been fun. We'll catch y'all. I'll catch y'all next season. I wanted to say that doing the podcast, I do, I'll do everything I do in my professional and academic life is like some kind of group assignment, some type of team project, but it feels really different doing a passion project on a team. This has really been something that I look forward to during my week, something that I don't have to dread. And I know that it, it's, it hasn't been easy, but I, I've learned a lot about how I want to do things differently. I learned a lot about audio <laughs> microphones and headphones but I also learned a lot about these issues things that I would not have looked up on my own things that I learned so much about and that I gained so much perspective on I definitely wanted to say that and so I feel like all the topics in season two are things that I really want to grow my knowledge and understanding and the ability to talk about too like sometimes talking with y'all I come up with the words the language you know the ideas that I need to be able to talk about things that are really important to me that are impacting me. So I'm grateful for that too. And I look forward to more of that in season two. And so I'm really grateful for both of y'all too. Oh, that's so nice. Anyways, okay, bye y'all. Bye hookers, hoes, and hood rats. <laughs> <laughs>